0: today's show we thought it would be a bigger deal than it was and it just never it never really took off Mm -hmm. and so it just didn't make sense to keep doing it you know Mm -hmm. because we wanted to be doing other stuff we were we didn't want to be magazine publishers you know we wanted to be comedy writers and comedy performers and we were spending way too much time like doing stuff like laying out the magazine Mm -hmm. uh you know and copy editing and, and, and getting writers to actually submit stuff because we didn't pay anybody and you know dealing with advertisers and stuff like that you know it was it, you have to do a lot of business stuff that we didn't want to do five four three two one one welcome to the creator institute podcast your host erin Counter.
1: On part two of my conversation with Ryan McKee, we'll talk more about the decision to shut the magazine down and the pain of sort of never sort of feeling like you completely have closure and what it's like 15 years later to be looking back at this event. And in fact, the rebirth of Modest Proposal magazine as Ryan's goes out to launch a podcast and a book recapping the 15-year anniversary of Modest Proposal. It's an interesting take on how creating at the time may not necessarily be as clear of the outcome, but even 15 years later, the effects of that creation event still linger on. Our second part of the conversation with Ryan McKee. And
0: so I wanted to make a magazine that covered comedy, but was also a source for it. You know, so we had fun interviews with comedians I respected like David cross and yeah, we had like Bob Odenkirk and, you know, somehow I was Zach Afanakis. I got got so many different comedians to say yes to interviews Mm because nobody else was asking them for them. Yeah. Um, or very few. And, um, I also wanted to be a source for it, you know? So, Mm -hmm. Uh, I got any funny writers who or cartoonists or anybody who wanted to work for free and wanted an opportunity um, to uh, contribute to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And yeah I thought I, I had really figured out that hole in the market but um, also stand-up comedy wasn't as popular as it it, it is now you know yeah. I had kind of already gone through the 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 popularity of the 80s and kind of crashed and people thought it was cheesy. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to show kind of the, the cooler side of yeah. it. Yeah,
1: well, you're right. I mean, and as, as someone who, you know, you you were kind enough to let me do a few articles, like I got to meet Nick Swardson and Maria Banford. And I remember specifically like Nick Swardson, who today has become sort of a bigger deal. He's got his own shows on Comedy Central and Netflix. But, yeah. you know, I, I truly just sent him a cold email and he responded He's like, yeah, I mean this is awesome. I'd love to. And so like he gave me his personal cell phone to call. So like I, I think the world yeah. was a little different than to the fact that the, the the internet was kind of coming online and comedians were looking for different ways to stand out. So it was, a, it was a funny little like way and you you know you even used this as a way to start to to get yourself into comedy and started to connect with comedians for your own events and shows. And like I think I remember you telling me at one point you had uh, Zach Galifianakis sleeping on her couch.
0: <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, and I, we haven't, I can't believe we haven't mentioned them yet, but, uh, you know, I started the magazine, I funded it and was the, you know, kind of, it was my, uh, brainchild, but uh, the, we the, know. the person who really did a lot of the heavy lifting with me is our, our good friend, Ron Babcock, right, who right. also met on, in college, on the Semester at C
1: program yeah, that you and I met on, we also we also Ron was known on Semester at C, Well, even after Semester at Sea, as virgin Ron. So we, you know, no longer but virgin different. Ron was. Uh, yeah, the 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 uh, your <laughs> yeah. co collaborator, co conspirator in this effort. And he actually, yeah. uh, like, well, tell the story about when when you what was so interesting about Ron and and sort of you decided to do this magazine or you decided to do something. And when you when you when you called Ron about it, how he how he reacted?
0: Right. So. Uh, the reason why we called him virgin ron ron grew up very catholic mm-hmm. in a um a, a small you know a smaller town in uh n- northeast pennsylvania called wilkesbury and went to university of scranton because his father was a professor there and he never really experienced much of life mm-hmm. before he, we met him on semester at sea yes know? yes and he he was he was he had never lived away from his parents really. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, uh, he lived in like a dorm room, which was like 20 miles away from his, mm-hmm. his parents' house, you know? So he really kind of came into his own when we first met him.
1: It and was almost, he was like, he was a non Amish Amish was sort of the best way yeah, almost to describe him. Exactly. But hilarious.
0: But hilarious. It, the funniest, uh, one of the funniest guys I had ever met to that mm-hmm.
1: point. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, um, and he and I had stayed in touch via email after after semester at C and I was telling him, like, hey, I want to start this comedy magazine. Would you be interested in helping out? And I just meant like, would you be interested in like writing some articles <laughs> right. Or, right. or or helping with copy editing or, or whatever, you know? And because I knew that he was just uh, had graduated college and was just kinda of hanging around um, his his parents' house. And He was like, uh, yes. Uh, he's he's like, where are you doing it? Where are you starting? And I'm like, Oh, I'm going, I'm starting in Tempe, Arizona. And he's like, I'm moving out there. (laughs) 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 So suddenly like he, I, yeah, he was just looking for any reason to go and do something. Right. So, um, yeah, he, after I had done my second fire season, he, moved in, he moved across the country from Pennsylvania to Arizona Mm -hmm. and in with uh, me and my girlfriend at the time, he took the uh, extra bedroom and uh, we just started doing this magazine. And I think the real reason we, he and I both wanted to perform comedy, but we're too scared or too, you know, ignorant to really figure out how. So this became a, a good way to work our way into the world of comedy and then start mm-hmm. performing
1: as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and then, so, so tell, tell the story a little bit about how, how this started to open some unique doors to you with, with the performance and, and with some of the interesting folks you met, like I said, uh, uh, the, the random assortment of humans who would start to sleep on your couch and, and, uh, in Tempe. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, well, Sorry to disappoint, but Zagop and never slept on our couch. Uh, he,
1: uh, I'm gonna tell myself that in my head though.
0: <laughs> so um you know, but we did we did have a a, a, a great night with Zagaf and I yeah, so when you have this comedy magazine and and nobody had heard of anything really like it, you know, every stand-up comic who would come through to perform at the Tempe Improv or or some would you know be brought in to do shows at Arizona State University, which we were uh, you know we lived right by. Um, Ron and I would bug them to to do an interview for the magazine. Mm-hmm. and um, and they would think that was really cool. So we ended up, you know, they would say, oh yeah, after the show, like let's go get drinks or whatever and do the interview. And for example, Zagafanakis, nobody knew who he was at the time. Mm -hmm. This is years and years and years before the hangover. Um, and he had come out to, he was booked to perform a show at Arizona state university that very few people showed up to. Mm -hmm. And then we bugged him afterwards to, to do the interview. And he was very nice about it. We went out to our like local bar and he, we did the interview and he like bought us food and drinks. And then, um, we ended up he's like yeah where, where to next and I, <laughs> uh, well we know of like uh, some you know there was like a some college kids who were having a party that were like part of the uh, college uh, improv group or whatever and he was like yeah let's go and <laughs> we ended up going like just kind of crashing this party with Zach <laughs> and, and all these college kids like we were out of college at the time but you know, just about a couple of years, and like took Guy Fawkes to a cake party. I think we ended up leaving him there because he wanted to stay, and we were <laughs> tired. And he's like, "Yeah, just leave me. I'll, I'll figure. It out. I'll. I'll. Uh, I'll find my own way home." That's amazing.
1: That's awesome. And 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 you guys both then actually started performing too. So you you sort of use this as a as your entry point in both performing live as well as performing video and started to create more of a of a you know sort of on that so how did how did your your first sort of shows start to come together for you, for for you and Ron
0: <clears throat> yeah so there weren't many you know the only place to really perform and there was only two comedy clubs in the phoenix area at the time there was the tempe improv which had been there forever is like the big club and there was also like kind of a small club called the comedy spot that was just starting in Scottsdale and they didn't really have open mics or any way to really kind of for young comics to really get their foot in the door. Um, and there were a few shows at bars around town, but again, it was like kind of this like small group of comedians who already knew each other. So it was hard to break in. So, um, Ron and I just, uh, we had approached, local businesses around tempe to buy advertising for the magazine and one of the bars said we don't want to buy an ad um but we were looking to start a comedy show would you guys want to do it and i'm uh, like their slow night on sunday night and we're like yes we'll we'll do it we'll make it an open mic and it'll be fun and um so you know we like maybe the five or six other comics or, or like young people that wanted to be comics had who we'd met, we invited out and um and then just started doing this open mic every week. And then anybody who would show up, we would give the magazine to hmm. remembered us as the modest proposal guys.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and that kind of became our calling card and, and you know, within a couple of years we had, you know, probably five or six shows like around Hmm. tempe that we were Tempe and phoenix that we would run Hmm. um and you know the we would pass the magazine out wherever we would go and 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 then the magazine became something bigger comics knew us as too so when they would come through to do shows we would give them a magazine they would remember us and then we'd have them come back and like do our little shows Hmm. you know if they were coming through town we're like hey you want to do this show like you know, we had Tig Notaro, like, who's a big comic now, but nobody knew who yeah. she was then. Like, we had her in the mm-hmm. little, like, bar shows and, um, you know, Anthony Jeselnik and uh, I'm trying to remember, like, you know, Nick Swartzen uh, mm-hmm. came by and did one of our shows. Patton Oswald did one of our bar shows, mm-hmm. you know, like, they just, they thought it. These bigger comics would come through, they would see the magazine, they would see that we had like a little bit of a scene going in Phoenix where there hadn't been one before. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it it got us a lot of great
1: contacts early in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's very, it's interesting to think about as much as, you know, you, in some ways joke saying, oh gosh, we should have done a website. The fact that you had something physical to give, it, it does, there's something about a physical representation of whatever it is that sort of means something different. You can throw up a website, a blog, but that physical, physical publication sort of means something to people.
0: Yeah, it did then for sure. <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, but something physical only has... Such a reach, yeah. We're only awesome, like so publishing a thousand copies of it or whatever, so it could only yeah. go so far. And you know, we were able to eventually get it into independent bookstores and like everywhere, you know, in Baltimore and in New York. And you know, it, it got around a little bit, but it still only had so much reach. Um, but you know, back then you could say, Well, you could go to my website, and you know, people would. Spell out their website, you know, it would be like, <laughs> proposal, you know, www. Dot, and people wouldn't go there, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, and because MySpace had just started to kind of take off and stuff like that, like what we should have been doing, we, it was hard for, we wanted to do a web, you know, it became clear after like the first year that we should be doing a website as well. Right. But right. we just didn't have the capacity to yeah. do the magazine stu- and perform and write and, you know, do everything. Uh, we just didn't know how to make a website. It wasn't that easy back then. Yep. As yep. it was now, you too. So, but, you know, in hindsight, we absolutely should have been figuring out a way to, uh, you know, pour more time into the website because it wouldn't have maybe it wouldn't have paid off as immediately as the magazine felt like it did mm-hmm. you know because it was actual that interaction of handing somebody something and people thinking it was cool and then like you know letting us do a show or getting us on a sh- or doing our show but <laughs> you know it would have paid off in the long term of being the first Mm -hmm. guys online really doing like a, like a comedy website that covered comedy Mm -hmm. as well as was a source for, you know, and we were also producing our own comedy videos and sketch videos and stuff like that. And we weren't putting them anywhere. This was before YouTube. Yeah. Uh, We should have been putting them on a website somewhere. Uh, We were just burning them onto DVDs and handing them to people.
1: (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, now the, the, the uh, the story though has it has a sort of a, a you know there's a tragedy a little bit you know eventually had you decided to to uh, to shut it down. What was kind of that process like? The decision to say, "Hey, listen, like uh, you know, I, I think this is the end of uh, the the physical paper version of uh, of Modest Proposal Magazine." <clears throat>
0: um. So after a couple of years of doing it in Arizona, Ron and I decided you know, we'd kind of climbed to the top of the Arizona comedy scene mm-hmm. um, at the time. And we decided, and we had made enough contacts where it, it made sense to make the move to Los Angeles. Yep. And, um, and again, the magazine became a very cool way at first for people to get to know us around LA. Like mm-hmm. we went to every comedy show we could and handed out copies and people remembered us pretty quickly we were able to get shows and stuff from it but um it just you know my my money that i had made doing firefighting had had long since vanished (laughs) yeah so you know i also had to find full-time work as Mm -hmm. did ron Mm -hmm. um and we were doing a lot. We were trying to do a lot more stand-up comedy shows, and we were Ron and I were working as a sketch comedy duo and trying to write stuff for that and produce videos for that. And the the magazine was just way too time consuming mm-hmm. to do. So yeah, um, it was our baby, and we hated. We both like drug our feet on admitting that it was time to to do away with it as as long as we could. Um, I think we did when we moved to LA. I think we ended up doing one more copy of it mm-hmm. and like kind of doing a as blowout of a show as we could to kind of promote it and you know made posters and all you know as you know we had met so many different people at that time to help out um, and people that we did and kind of blew it out, but then it just I don't know. We we thought it would we thought it would be a bigger deal than it was and it just never it never really took off mm-hmm. and so it just didn't make sense to keep doing it, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Cuz we wanted to be doing other stuff. We were, we didn't want to be magazine publishers, you know. Right. We wanted to be comedy writers and comedy performers and we were spending way too much time like doing stuff like laying out the magazine, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And copy editing and, and, and getting writers to actually submit stuff because we didn't pay anybody and, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with advertisers and stuff like that. You know, it was it, you have to do a lot of business stuff that we didn't want to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But does it feel kind of cool to think, I mean, you know, you, you look back on it and, and again, it's sort of never something fun when it fails. But like I was, you know, I was just looking, you know, the first issue of Modest Proposal magazine is if it's from 2003 was the first issue is in the Library of Congress. You know, so like you're, you're, uh, it's kind of cool to think, right? Like it's, it's a, uh, something you created has a record. And, you know, I think the, the, the title, number one, issue, number one, counterculture comedy and, uh,
0: oh, yeah, that's what it's
1: called. I, and, and, uh,
0: um, that, that was, uh, I'll take credit for that. I thought that was real cool. Counterculture. Yep.
1: comedy. Yep. You, um, and, and the other, nobody says.
0: That was way past like when people were saying counterculture, too. Yeah, right. I was like such a 60s term. And I don't it. know why I was going to bring it back in the early aughts.
1: Well, you, and I, here's the other funny thing that you did in this first episode is our first issue. You called it issue 36 minus 35. So, I mean, you know. Oh,
0: hilarious uh, numbers. Look, uh, at right
1: <laughs> look at you. Look
0: at you. I think I have to give Ron credit for that one. I think that was his idea. Yeah, I don't know. We tried to. I mean, we tried to pack it as full of comedy as we could. Yep. You know what I mean? Like every, you know, we tried to look at every part of a magazine and and, and see if there was a joke we could make there. Yeah. Every, you know, from like, you know, people's credits in the magazine to just, you know, uh, just different ways to you know do the magazine layout that would be funny and whether it was like good layout or not you know we would we would do it if we thought it was funny you know and um you know it taught us it taught us a lot to just try to you know what it did teach us was to just trust our own instincts um and and just try stuff you know and and but then be open to see if it worked or not you know what i mean mm-hmm. it it mm-hmm. it Forced us to, you know, hand something to somebody and see somebody's reaction. You know what I mean? Yep. You could tell if somebody liked it or not, and, and that that really helped. Then just like you know, kind of toiling away in a room and writing something and not really getting to see people's like mm-hmm. expression.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you, do you find, you know, you, 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 to, to fast forward a little bit, you know, you've sort of, you were able to leverage this to eventually get in, into the writing career though, right? Like, so this went from firefighter to magazine publisher to failed magazine publisher to then, mm-hmm. you know, you started this career as a comedy writer and still continuing to pursue that. You've, you've worked at MTV and now, um, with James, you know, do you, did you, do you look at that journey and in some ways uh, sort of, do you think there was a faster way or was that just part of the, the way that you would have had, you had to do to get to where you are today is to sort of like actually learn all these things uh, to, to get here.
0: There's certainly, certainly a faster way, (laughs) uh, but I don't know if there was a faster way for me personally. You know, I, my, my mom and dad used to, uh, especially my dad, my dad would tell me um, that <laughs> my dad's a very like direct blunt man. And he would say growing up, he when he when I was growing up, he was like, you know what? You're not, you're not really good at any one thing, mm-hmm. but you, he's like, you try everything you want, you know, you want to try everything you want to see if it's right for you. And, and I really did. Like, I never just, fo- I was never able to just focus on one sport or, you know, or, 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 or you know, one hobby, you know, I, I, I tried everything and I never got really good at anything because of that, because I tried all the different things, but I did get to try everything. And that's kind of how I approached my career also mm-hmm. is, you know, if I had focused on just being a comedy writer, I you know, would have definitely been a more direct route, but I kind of wrote everything. I wrote everything. You know, I got jobs writing like trivia questions and, you know, like I toured as a stand up comic. I toured with Ron doing sketch comedy. Um, you know, I wrote for all every different blog under the sun who would pay me. Um, I just wanted to try all kinds of different stuff. You know, I did travel writing. I did. You know, I, I I wrote for I wrote for a, a porn magazine at one point. <laughs> um, part of me gets frustrated that it's taken me as long to get where I am, um, and then I remind myself of all the the cool experiences I had that I wouldn't right. if I if I if I didn't uh, take this. The journey, you know, and I just didn't, and you just don't know, honestly, in the moment. Like, you know, twenty twenty hindsight, I know it's it's like cliche saying, but yeah, it is. I mean, I, I I thought I was trusting my gut on these certain, you know, decisions that I made that didn't go anywhere, Um, and it was the right thing to do for me at the time. All these different things, Um, but you know. Um, <laughs> you you get, you get to where you're going eventually. I guess I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly right. It, and and I think you know. So so there's still not really you know in a lot of ways. As much as comedy's blown up, there's still is kind of this hole in the marketplace. So if if uh, you know, maybe not quite to the same degree, but if you had to do it all over again, here you are. You're you're now uh, you're now. 22 years old again, what would you do differently a little bit as you you look at the the opportunity saying, hey, I want to create something that helps me break in? What would you do differently if you had to give yourself that advice today? If I was 22 years old today? Yeah, 22 years old again. Same Want to break into comedy again. How would you sort of approach it differently? And the writing side is much more so than, you know, maybe not the onstage part has been part of your journey, but more you're now in the business of writing and producing comedy.
0: Uh, Oh, so if I was giving advice to my 22 year old self, like in present day or yeah, when, present I day. when I was actually twenty two
1: yeah now, now. Yeah.
0: uh now, yeah, so it's a whole different world now than when I started, but um the when people ask me for advice, I always say like too many people spend too much time uh questioning mm-hmm. it and being precious about things that they're making,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know like too many people will think about making a comedy video and then like write it and and pour over it and and, and then re-edit it and read it before like it's you know be and then by the time it's finally ready to be out there they've they've spent like months on it you know what i mean and it's too precious to them and and then when it goes up on the internet and it and, and it doesn't do anything you know they're crushed by it and then they, mm-hmm. they'll stop you know mm-hmm. you can't I tell mm-hmm. people, you just gotta produce stuff and get it out in the world. It doesn't matter what it is or how good it is. If it's not good, the internet will just forget about it anyway. You know, it's not like you'll be ruined for life. You know, um, like even even like if you do really horrible stuff and it offends people, uh, that's probably gonna blow over eventually yeah. because the news cycle is so quick nowadays. Um, but yeah, you just gotta, you, you, people gotta quit making excuses. And there's too, it's just too easy now to write your own blog or, or, or produce your own videos or, you know, make your own art and put it out there. Like, you just, just do it. You know what I mean? Like, it, and, yeah. Um, and, you know, if, do whatever it takes to get there, you know, <laughs> um, People used to really poo-poo stand-up comedy classes and and stuff like that. But if it, I know a lot of great comedians who started out doing stand-up comedy classes because it got them to start doing it. Yeah. So whatever you need to do to start doing it, just do it and don't question it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it might not be the best way, but if it gets you to do it, then hey, that's hey. what it takes.
1: Yeehaw! Then that's right. That's right. Um. That's awesome. I, I think it's. I, I do think it's. You know. I think it's an interesting case study in some ways of uh, comedy's. You know, a notoriously difficult industry to break into, especially when you're. Uh. You know, living in 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 Phoenix and and sort of you know not having those connections, those role models. Um. And I think. I think to your point, the create it and whether you pick the right medium or not is irrelevant in some ways. You know, I was I was reading before to prepare for this. It it is funny. Like you know you're, your fingerprints are all over the comedy world from, and you're always described as the creator of this funny magazine, Modest Proposal magazine. So you have these sort of digital fingerprint that shows how you were able to, to stand in and break out. And, you know, in a lot of ways it was pre YouTube, pre some of the other, like, you know, easier channels. And so you, uh, you still have this, uh, this, this digital fingerprint that's all over the place, um, on how you guys sort of broke into the, broke into the industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, Thank you. Uh, that that is. Uh, I mean, that's nice to hear. I don't think of you know when you are just day to day. I don't think of. It. I don't think about it that much, but um, yeah, it's. I don't know. Like I got it, it's got me to it's got me to where I am today, and I I love where I am today, and I have a super fun job where I get to just go in and. You know, there's stress, but I really just get to think of ways to be funny every day, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and and get, and with one of the funniest people in the world, I think James Corden. I, um, so it took a long time and I was really, really broke at times, you know, (laughs) um, I, you know, I, we kind of left this part out, but I, you know, I had, when I met my now wife, she, uh, had moved to New York for a job and I didn't, you know, she, this was in 2008 and she had said like, I'm not going to do long distance. We can, e- we can either break up or or you can move to New York with me. And so I moved to New York in 2008 <laughs> when everything oh, was crashing as yeah. well as the job market. And I had just started to make money as a writer in LA and I thought I could do the same thing in, in New York. And I was could it? I got that? And I just couldn't get any work, and I was 30 years old and I was a production assistant on mm-hmm. Nanny 911.
1: Wow, yes. <laughs>
0: um, and just because I couldn't get, I was making like a hundred dollars a day, um, as a 30 year old, working with guys who you know were at the same level of me, were like 21, you know, mm-hmm. and um. It was, it was miserable, you know, and I hated it. But, um, you, you know, in hindsight, it was, uh, I guess, a created character. <laughs> 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 I mean, I, I had to, I was like, you know, we were in, I was 30 years old and I was a production assistant, but I was also like the lowest man on the totem pole because those other production assistants had been there longer than me. Yeah, so, yeah. We were, I remember we were on the shoot in Staten Island and it was in the middle of winter and uh, I, I had to, my job was to just stand in front of the house and watch the front door and the side door to make sure the kids didn't run away, uh, (laughs) which they did constantly. (laughs) And and there was even the four-year-old would just like, if he got a shot at an open door, he would just start running out into the street. I don't like he didn't have a plan, but I don't know why. Like something in his little four year old brain let him know he had to get away from this horrible family he was in. Um and you know, like I remember thinking like I've made a horrible, horrible mistake <laughs> in my life. Yeah. Um this is not but what I, I didn't I didn't have a backup plan, so I just had to keep plowing forward. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you're like, ah, oh, God, that uh, that comedy magazine really set me up for success. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: it's amazing. Um, but it did, you know, what it did teach me was, you know I had to kind of start over in New York, and that's when, you know, a lot of uh, blogs were taking off. You know, like AOL and MTV, and you know, all these different companies had had bought blogs and were actually paying little amounts of money to write content and produce videos for them. Mm-hmm. And I'd taught myself how to do all that when we started Miles Proposal. So I just kind of reinvented myself as a blogger and video online video producer there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Out of yeah. necessity. I know, totally, totally. Well, and I think, and, and as you, you said, when you, you joined uh, the, you know, James, there wasn't a digital team either. So you sort of have to have continually had to reinvent yourself and, you know, apply those skills as you jump into these new roles, which is to your, maybe to your dad's earlier point, you're not, you know, not particularly good at any one thing, but you're good at a lot of things is sort of the the way you've been able to, to survive and, uh, you know, basically get yourself into places that eventually would, uh, would lead lead you to where you are. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean uh, I, I I do think it I, <clears throat> you probably know the the advice of just kind of of well, who's the CEO who says lean into it or wrote that book lean into it?
1: Yeah, Sheryl Sandberg.
0: You're yeah, right. Like it's true. I mean, too many people focus on trying to overcome their faults mm-hmm. rather than just recognizing their strengths and really improving upon it mm-hmm. and yeah, or definitely early on, I should have realized. Like, instead of trying to, you know, do one thing, like my strength is being able to multitask at, at different in different areas. Yeah. and yeah, for sure, I, I'm realizing that now and, and trying to improve upon it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, so uh, so where can folks uh, keep keep tabs on you? What are the places um, you know besides uh, following the Late Late Show and, and everything else. Where else can they keep tabs on you?
0: Um, you, I mean, follow me on Twitter at the Ryan McKee. Um, you're at the Ryan McKee. Um, I'm pretty much across the web as, as the Ryan McKee because other mm-hmm. uh, people got other Ryan McKees got to that handle first. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, you, you were always always an early adopter. It sounds like.
0: Yeah, 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 uh, but. I'm on Insta- I think I, actually on Instagram, I am just Ryan McKee. I got that first. So, okay, uh, timer. so, so screw those other Ryan McKees. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's it. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't write a lot under my name or anything right now. I'm mostly just producing stuff for the Late Late Show. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. but definitely people should check out uh, the Late Late Show across every, uh, online format.
1: Yeah. Screw those people who like Game of Thrones. You got a fr- You won the freaking Emmy. That's
0: right. Game of Thrones is shit. Yeah. Totally. Just,
1: they're, they're worth it. Just like Get it out there. Real clear. Horrible, horrible, overrated show. Awesome. Well, I love, uh, I love the fact that it's been, it's been awesome to, you know, the two of us had our, our friendship start because we happened to have, uh, last names that were close and get randomly placed next to each other across, uh, across a frosty across from each other in a ship and, uh, you know, uh, yeah. almost two decades later, it's it's amazing to sort of see. And I remember uh, when you told me, hey, I think we should start like an improv group on on the ship. Uh, do you want to come 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 hang out? And I was like, uh, I've never done improv before. And thank God I, I never have since. But it's <laughs> awesome to see you and, and Ron and, and some of the others who've gone on and still continued that passion.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's... Uh yeah i love i love seeing where you've gone as well um and uh people should listen to you because i should have listened to you
1: <laughs> <laughs> here, here it is here it is everything is there uh awesome well this is fun ryan i will uh i will share this with everyone else and thanks again for for rocking out with me today
0: yeah thank you very much for having me have a good one